and welcome back to Box to Box Euros Edition. The semifinals are set. It's kind of ridiculous thinking about that, that we're already at the semifinals. Um, but I'm your host, Alexi Baceta, joined as always by Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah is back and in England. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, but Jesse, England are in the semifinals. How are you feeling? Excited. I was scared and sad for a strong half hour on Wednesday night, but the girls came through. It's all good. We're going to Sheffield. I can't wait. That's That sounds very underwhelming when you put it that way. We're going to Sheffield. Hey, I enjoyed my little trip to Sheffield once uh, or once already this month. I'm looking forward to going back. <laughs> and Abdullah, you're finally in England watching matches in person. How has that been? I am. I'm here. I can't. It's, it's still surreal that I'm that I'm here in the same city. Um, watching games live has been amazing. I mean, for my first ever women's football game to go watch England versus Spain. I mean, two world class teams, and then just the atmosphere, the contacts, the everything was just unbelievable. I think by the beginning I was a neutral, but by the 115th and 20th minute I was celebrating Stanway's goal as if I've been English my whole life. So like that was that was insane. And then it was a bit more of a mellow occasion on uh, on Germany for Germany versus Austria, but equally still amazing. And then I think Alex, you and I spoke about the game for like 90 minutes, just basically commentating throughout. So that was fun. No, that that Spain match was. Um, I couldn't speak to Jesse for those 30 minutes when <laughs> they were kind of nervous. I I kind of wanted to talk about something, and I would look over, and it was just. I was bad. I would, I would even sorry. look. Her, I, I actually, I would actually say something, <clears throat> and they just wouldn't hear. It was just like. I was, I, I was in a hole. I was in a dark hole. Yeah, basically. But let's go back to the tournament. We are through to the semis, down to the last four. And we have England versus Spain, Germany versus France. They've gotten through in different ways. Um, but let's have a quick question before we get into the analysis. What has been the team that has disappointed you the most in these quarterfinals? Jesse? It's got to be the Netherlands, really, hasn't it? I think Belgium and Austria going out, you can point to some kind of heroic performances. I thought Spain were pretty good, actually, for, for lots of the England game, even though I think, as we said before, their ceiling should be higher. But the Netherlands last night were just... It was tough out there for them. I felt I felt sorry for them. Yeah, the Dutch. I mean, after yesterday's... Um, after yesterday's... Uh... Yesterday's game and kind of the, the failure to kind of take example of the issues that the French obviously quite had. I mean, if they if they can't take advantage of those games, then I I, I think they would have probably been uh, uh, they would have probably been smashed in the uh, in the next round if they did get through. But uh, yeah, I think the Dutch were overall uh, you know the least most disappointing uh, team for me. I think that's quite fair to say. Um, but let's get into rounding up the quarterfinals. We'll go in order of play. Again, there's a bias here, just because we're going to start with England and Spain. England to Spain one. England knockout another tournament favorite Spain in extra time. Esther Gonzalez scored the first in the 54th minute after a very, very, very nice nutmeg from Atenea del Castillo and Rachel Daly. Um, but Ella to Nicolás in the 84th minute. Uh, to send the match into extra time. And it was Georgia Stanway that gave England the winner with a shot from outside the box in the 96th minute. Jesse, outside of emotions, what did you think of this football match? 
it's very hard for me to switch off the emotions. I don't know if everyone has seen that someone put the Georgia Stanway goal to the Titanic music, but I have watched that video, I'm going to say, about 300 times over the past couple of days. Um, okay, but uh, taking taking my emotional self out of it, uh, I think this game played out fairly similarly to how I expected it to. Spain obviously had a lot of the ball, but I do think they didn't create a, a huge amount, particularly in the first half. Um, I think the big change was when Athena came on, it suddenly gave them a lot more of a directness and penetration. And, and I was kind of surprised Jorge Vilda didn't choose to start her because I think when, you know, when you look back at the Arnold Clark Cup game, it was a similar case there that Spain didn't really have the ability to turn their possession into actual danger until Athena came on. And, and obviously she played against Lucy Bronze in that one and played against Rachel Daly here and just absolutely had the beating of her. Um, I think maybe what surprised me was how limited Lauren Hemp and Beth Mead were able to be. Um, you know, Lauren Hemp. On about you. <clears throat> yeah, on about you was really, really good. Um, she's clearly learned from her outings against Lauren Hemp this season, and starting Olga over Leila was definitely the right call. Um because Beth Mead got like no joy there. And yeah, when even when they switched, there was like no, nothing coming from there. And it felt like England didn't really have any ideas as a result. But I did always feel like, I never felt like when Spain were 1-0 up that it was like they were going to suddenly run us ragged or get a load of goals. What was making me convinced England were going out because I was pretty convinced they were going out was just that they were very good at limiting England's England's chance creation and it just did not look like England were going to score at all. Yeah, that's fair. I think you can pick point the the battles that went well for, for Spain, but I think the overall, it was quite overwhelming for them when England really put their gear on and just threw everything forward no matter what to get that goal. Um, and you can tell that Spain were kind of struggling with, chaos really um but we'll get into the into the lineups a bit more but Abdullah before that considering the final score how it went do you think that the team that should have won won it's weird because in my opinion up until the time Ella Toon scored I thought Spain were the better side I think on, on the on 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 the on the whole I thought Spain in 90 minutes should have won that game just the way they were playing they, they had the answers to to, to England's press, you know, I think uh, that's probably been their biggest strength in this tournament, the way England have been pressing off the ball. And the way Aitana kind of came in and almost bypassed that press on her own was, I think, really impressive. I think once the goal went in from when, from Ella Toon, I think England just decided, and then they made the switch to the three at the back. I think it was just a different sort of proposition for Spain to, to be able to answer and one that they they were kind of uh, they weren't able to kind of they weren't able to kind of stop at the same time they still had their own chances uh you know going back um you know regardless of you know regardless of the the situation I think you know to some extent I think Spain should have should have won I think I think we can all agree on that but I think I don't agree no I think you can agree but I think you can also agree the way I'm putting it is that Spain had the chance, ha- had the better chance to win. Yeah. In the 90, but they were never going to win because England was always just. Desperate. I'm not. A, I'm not saying that England winning the game is still a fair result. 
I thought, I mean, that, that was, that, that's the expected result, isn't it? But then when it, when it got to the 80th minute, you were like. But I don't think Spain deserved to, to win. I don't think Spain no. were better than England that you go, oh, England like snatched it from them. Mm, I think it was a very no. even game. And if either side had come out as winner, that was probably. To, like, be, fair, it, it, to be fair, in 90 minutes, if Spain had won that 1-0, I'd have been like. I would have been like, fine, okay, they won it 1-0. But I think once you got into the Elatoon goal onwards, I think England just took over that game and decided, all right, this is this is our game to win now. We're going to take it forward. And I think they I think they did really, really well after that. Um, so, like, both teams winning, there are, are there are arguments to say if Spain had won, yeah, okay, fine. But England won, yeah, okay, that's that's also really, really good with the comeback and everything. So, yeah, but overall, it was just an entertaining game. I mean, that at the end of the day, I think... Um, both managers were, you know, made some really good moves, made some really good changes, and you know, they worked. Mind you, I it was Alice's graduation party the other day, and one of her friends, who's not my friend, he's he's Spanish from Barcelona, um, and he brought his parents over, um, and him and his dad and I got into a flow, full blown conversation about Jorge Villa and the Spanish Federation. We were literally sat like everyone was dancing on the dance floor, and it was just us two in the corner, just like really complaining about the fat the Spanish Federation, and it was really really funny. Alex's personal brand is so strong at this point. <laughs> it is it is really strong, just complaining about Jorge Villa and, and other managers. But back to this, that's just to say that yes, I I still managed to pull out Jorge Villa in, in a party. Um, but going back to the match, Spain just edged possession fifty eight percent. Um, and finished with 17 attempts on goal with four on target, seven more attempts than on goal than England, but just one more on target, um, which kind of sums them up this entire tournament of getting chances, just none of them on goal and dangerous. But we've talked before how Spain haven't had a consistent lineup and no consistent rhythm throughout the tournament. But they showed up to this match. I think, I think going off of what Jesse said, um, Olga was definitely the right choice over Leila, no doubt about that. I thought putting Dede... Uh, Teresa in the midfield with Patria and Aitana was good, but if you would have given her the chance to play throughout the group stages and actually connect with Aitana and Patria a bit better, I think that could have ended, not ended, but it could have been quite different going into the knockout rounds. And yeah, for England, this was big about seeing how they do against the team who holds possession better than they do, essentially, which was a big point of a topic. And I must say that Another point of talk that a lot of people focus on was Ona Batya versus Lauren Hemp battle. And I'm really happy that Ona did really, really, really well because that just would have fallen into so many journalists' um, narrative and she didn't. And I'm very proud of her. Uh, but I also one comment before we go, but on Aitana, um, Jesse and I were sat around the halfway line and we had basically the perfect view of Aitana doing just ridiculous things that just like... I think when you look at the physics even and everything, it just doesn't make sense what she does. There was one point where she had, I'm pretty sure it was Lucy Bronze, Georgia Stanway, and I think Kara Walsh potentially around her. And she still managed to get out of the one gap that they left open. Um, like the probability of that was probably like a 1% chance that she would have gotten out of that. But I thought Aitana had had a really, really good match. Um, and that's, I'm not going to get into that because I think a lot of Aitana, I think she's done really well, but obviously not as good as she does for Barcelona because she hasn't scored. So that's great. But Jesse, there were periods of domination for both sides throughout the first 90 in different ways. Um, what did you think of the matchup of the style of plays? Yeah, I think, I think both teams did come 
out really well from this game. I feel like England got quite a lot of criticism and it kind of surprised me because I think people, maybe because Spain have been disappointing, underrate how good Spain are at holding on to the ball. And I think generally England, whilst they didn't create a lot, probably went into that game not expecting to create a lot. And I think for them, the priority probably always was going to be like, OK, can we kind of keep the ball in, in front of us? And, and definitely in the first half, they, they were pretty good at doing that. Um, I definitely agree that I thought Aitana was like totally unreal in this game. And I think she really made a big impact in terms of both being able to hold on to the ball in midfield, but also not giving Kira Wolf the kind of time that, say, like Norway gave her. And I think you saw this was a great example of how important Walsh is to this team in, in terms of what, what she can create. And I think what was really interesting was, yeah, how much individual battles really came to to dominate this game. Because I think actually, you know, there are there are elements to this England team that want to be able to do some of the kind of stuff that Spain can do in terms of holding on to the onto possession. You know, I think Serena Wiegmann's England is a lot more of a conservative England than than maybe we've seen from England sides in the past. And but they also really can thrive off those transition moments and Spain just absolutely killed them when it came to that. And they killed them on the flanks as well. So I think it was a really like fascinating game. And I think in, in some ways it was very fitting for it to be decided by a moment of total brilliance and also hilarious that the, you know, kind of equalizing tactic just still involved putting Millie Bright up front like we watched 80 minutes of you know really kind of fascinating tactical battles and then Serena's like okay let's stick the big lady up front again and see what happens um and that's how England England equalized but yeah I think this definitely felt like the most high quality of all four of the quarterfinals yeah definitely I thought again putting emotions aside um I thought this was a really, really entertaining match in, in terms of individual matchups, but also strengths and weaknesses of each side. Yeah, that Olga and Ona did did really, really well to to kind of keep Lauren Hemp and Beth Mead quiet, which has been literally impossible. Um, this entire tournament, we know Beth Mead is is in the run for the golden boot and she's been running havoc. Um, but I don't like even right in front of us, I I don't think I saw a Beth Mead or Lauren Hemp try to take on the fullbacks 1v1, which was really shocking I thought yeah Olga and Ona did really well um but yeah just I mean that that moment of Georgia Stanway it was an amazing shot it was um it looks a lot harder than it looks because because she kind of turned her body to make sure the ball went across the goal um but then that defending from from Mappy and Olga was just abysmal um we cannot get into that they're still backing off they backed off into the sea at this point <laughs> I mean yeah that that was that was really, really bad. But on, also, I do have to comment on the Mariona and Lucy Brown's battle, which was really cute. And they're going to be besties at Barcelona now. But that that was a good battle. I thought Lucy Brown's did her a few times, but I thought Mariona also evaded Lucy Brown's quite well. So I think them being on the same team could actually work out quite well. But we do have to see Lucy Brown's play with the same side as Caroline Graham Hansen, which I think is going to be really entertaining but let's 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 not get into that just yet but Abdullah we saw some weaknesses in the England squad highlighted a bit more here such as Rachel Daly at fullback we know she's she's good enough to kind of fill in position but against Atenea she was just getting done left right and and her ankles are probably just really really sore and but how will England fare against the Swedes in the semi-final 
it's interesting because I think it's the first time. I mean, we've all, a lot of people have been saying, right, Rachel Daly shouldn't be at left back. But then at the same time, Rachel Daly has actually, you know, ha- had a decent time at left back. I think mainly because the wingers that she's come up against have been easier for her to manage. Um, and then the first time she came up against some a real high quality direct winger up against her, uh, it was it was it was quite a it was quite a show. I mean, the, right? I mean, it happened in front of me where Rachel Daly was up against Athenea, and then Athenea sends her to the floor like three four times in a row. And I'm like, I literally was shouting. I was shouting for no reason, but I was like, either protect Rachel Daly or take her off. This is ridiculous now. Like you can't keep subject. The problem is England didn't protect her on that left side, which made it even worse. You know, it it just made Rachel Daly look worse than what she actually is at left back. She's not a left back, but it was just worse than what it was. Um, how will they fare against Sweden in the semi-final? I think, I don't think Serena's going to change it. I think she'll keep, I think she'll keep Rachel Daly at left back. Um, and, and, and kind of, but I think the only difference will be is I think we might start seeing Kira Walsh might drop into to that left half space a little bit more, give, give her that a little bit of extra protection because, the biggest thing that that Rachel Daly gives you is recovery pace. And out of Carter, Greenwood, Stokes and Daly, she's the quickest one. And, and, and I think the theme of <clears throat> the Euros has been in terms of wingers is that every single one of them are quick. You 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 barely have maybe a Mariona type winger who um, Mariona type winger who's who relies more on her technical ability more than her actual pace. Um, which is still a different sort of challenge for uh, a fullback of that nature. But I think, I think for daily it's, it's, she's going to continue playing. Cause I, I think if she gets dropped, her confidence gets shot and then, you know, it become it becomes an issue, but uh, I'd like to see Rachel Daly further forward, but I think against Sweden, um, she'll come back. I think it's a bit more of a manageable affair, a little bit more. I say, and I say that would like literally maybe half a percent or a percent more affair for, for England to manage against against Sweden, um, we haven't seen um, like Rolfo hasn't had the best games. Uh, you know, maybe maybe through the tactical thing, Aslani's probably going to be the most dangerous uh, attacking threat. So I think I think England's defense will once again be really tested uh, going into this, and 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 that's where we're going to see it. If if they can get through this test, then they've got a very good chance. That's fair. We'll get into kind of the matchups, looking more at the Sweden attack when we now analyze um, Sweden Belgium. But before we move on to Germany Austria, I do have to say that Amayur Saidegi, for coming on for five ten minutes, proved why she should have been on for so many more minutes in this tournament. That one, she had two chances. I think that one touch that she had, um, that was I have to say, it, but that was really really sexy. It was just off the off the top high leg but then she kind of she messed up the finish and that was the moment where I looked over at Jesse and Jesse was just like I think their face just went white just like shocked and frozen just doing a tiny sick in my mouth basically it was just like uh I was I was more I think at that point I was just enjoying it but Jesse was I think they shot themselves in, that, in, that <laughs> in the suit but yeah I we do have to mention Amayur Saregi that came on for literally nothing and proved why she should have been the runs she was making the touches she was making everything she brought to the match um the amount of anecdotes i've heard from people who don't follow women's football who are like why did spain wait until the last five minutes to bring their best player on (laughs) like just people who are like huh this girl's really good like having no idea of the context behind any of it everyone but jorge villa understands that but that's yeah again another we can do another podcast on that (laughs) 
but we'll move on to Germany to Austria nil. A very entertaining match to watch, to say the least. I think less football of a match than England-Spain, but a bit more chaos and entertainment. Both sides hit the woodwork five times throughout the match. Austria three and Germany two. No doubt each side had their chances and the Germany goal was coming. Of course, an Alex Pop goal was coming. Uh, she scored in every single match at the Euro so far. But it is clear that Germany had the much better chances. Clara Buhl um, missed a few sitters that she probably should have finished off. And Austria, of course, had, you know, had their moments to hit the woodwork uh, quite a few times and really clear chances also. But Germany did seal the win with a very unfortunate Manu Zinsberger um, error, which Alex Pop did admit after the match that that was studied. And she closed that down knowing that Manu Zinsberger tries to go to the left quite often and she kind of loses sight of, of her um, awareness when she goes into that. So that was really well worked. But Jesse, I think we can say that this isn't the best Germany that we've seen this tournament. What did you think of them against Austria? Yeah, I don't think it's the best we've seen of Germany, but I think that lots of that is credit to Austria. And I think there are elements of where Austria started playing their strengths just kind of fitted quite neatly with maybe the way Germany want to play and, and kind of swung things that way. But in the end, I think actually, you know, it, it obviously paid off for Germany because they won. But I think, you know, where Austria was getting a lot of joy and where they're really strong is obviously within their midfield. And I think because Germany like to push their midfielders forward, that's kind of where Austria were getting overloads. But the reason Germany pushed those midfielders forward is so they can do this kind of crazy high press. And, you know, now within all of Germany's games, we're seeing them score goals off off defenders or goalkeepers making errors. And at this point, it's it's not really a coincidence. It's it, because they're doing it very, very well. And yeah, I guess Germany were maybe lucky that they got away at points with, with the advantage Austria were finding by having that kind of bigger gap in midfield. Um, but, you know, they they got their, their two goals from basically putting Zinsberger under pressure. So it kind of worked for them. And yeah, they did the same against Denmark. They did the same against Spain. So that German press is, it's quite scary, actually. Um, and I I would be worried for, for France, I think, because, you know, I do think though those players could, can be put under pressure as well. I think I'd be worried for any team in this tournament, to be fair, because, I mean, Alex Pop especially is just absolutely on one in terms of her energy and you know I, I was listening to Stadio and Ryan and Musa were, were talking about it but you know to be in the what was it like 91st minute or something of a game and and be have have in your head still that Manu Zinsberger has this like weakness where she doesn't look and then to like arc your run like that's crazy you know that's just like a kind of dedication and drive that is is really terrifying to see yeah it is it is interesting because we I think Alex Pop was kind of a topic of conversation obviously this was her first Euros but obviously there was that doubt of whether you put her in the midfield or whether you put her as a striker because she's not essentially a central striker and obviously against Denmark uh, Lea Schuller started in the central striker role and Alex Pop was on the bench essentially um so there's always that debate but then you know Alex Pop has been Alex Pop and she's been thriving in that central striker position again she scored four goals and four goals first person to do that in a woman's Euros at her first Euros might I add which is 
ridiculously impressive, but you can't you can't drop her now. And that's ridiculous when you think about Germany's bench and how many players still haven't played. But again, we can do another podcast and all the side notes that we have every single episode. Um, but Abdullah, you and me, we sat together in, in the nice club seats. Not bad. Nice cushion seats. But we had we were close to the halfway line and the angle that we were at, we had the perfect view um, to watch the players movement quite well. What did you think of how the German midfield did this match? Because it can prove to be big against France. And for note, the midfield that started was um, Lina Magud, Lena Oberdorf. Yes, and Sarah Dabritz. Um, what did you think of them? I I actually thought for a lot of the a lot of different a lot of moments in the game. I saw Austria did well. I think Zadrasil and Farsinger, you know, and Puntagam were were actually pretty good up against that those three. And I think I think obviously the, those three are Austria's three best players. Their their strengths and the strongest lineup. But what I found what I found interesting was I loved the way the Germans had adjusted their game that midfield specifically adjusted their game to kind of you know to 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 adjust to what Austria were doing. I think Lena Obudov man marking um, Zadrasil I think was was outstanding. I think for me I think there's got to be a shout out to to Lena Obudov because she basically man marked Zadrasil while at the same time screening and intercepted anything else that went to Feisinger or or, or, or Puntigan, which is unreal basically doing the job of two people as as one person whilst man marking is an unbelievable job like the Oberdorf is uh, not human and then you had Dabritz who I think had her worst game of the tournament she wasn't she wasn't as effective as as we've normally seen her she you know she was I think she was the one suffering the most out of that three but I did like is her her kind of adjustment of all right I need to get on the ball she drops into like a double pivot alongside Oberdorf to receive the ball and build up and then take it from there and then obviously Lina Magul is Lina Magul. You know her 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 intelligence sitting at spaces is good. I think, you know, coming up against um, coming up against France. I mean, that's probably that's probably where they had um, that's probably where they had they have their best um, their strengths because I think defensively uh, the French uh, you know ha- have the names they might be better going forward. The Germans you'd say right now probably just a shade across, but I think it's in midfield where they really have that quality difference. And I think for Germany, it's going to be all about, um, it's going to be all about that, um, that midfield. I mean, if, 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 if Oberdorf, uh, Magul and Dabritz can, can really take a hold, a hold of this, but um, are really going to take a hold of this, then, uh, then I think we'll be, um, we'll be, we'll be okay. And Jesse, let's talk about your favorite German players, starting with Feli Rau. <laughs> Uh, we saw Austria beating Germany on the wings a little bit. I think it was one of those cases also where you can tell Austria is a great team, but when you compare them against you know some of the best in the world, their level and their decision-making is just a bit a level lower. And you saw them kind of mess up the attacks on that aspect as well. But they were getting a few chances on the wing. What did you think of the German defence in this match? Yeah, I think as Abdullah kind of already touched on, Lena Oberdorf was doing a lot of a lot of good work here to to screen that stuff. But yeah, I also think you know Austria looked really impressive. I thought um, Julia Hickelsberger in particular looked really really good. She signed for Hoffenheim, so that's fun. I've got a new Eula brand uh, at Hoffenheim for next season. But yeah, I definitely think I still think that that weakness is there for the Germans on the wings. And again, I think this is why. The Germany France match doesn't feel as easy to to predict as 
as maybe some people might say, I, I mean, I for one just need to give up on saying that France are going to go out of this tournament because at this point I'm convinced they're going to win. Um, but, you know, like, I think it'll be really interesting to see um, the Germans kind of have to face up to a team who I don't think they've really played a team yet who massively put stuff out wide and try and play on the flanks. You know, I think as much as Austria have kind of talented young wingers their midfield is is the best I think Spain played very centrally as well and equally Denmark they were looking to play Penila Harder very centrally too so I don't think we've really seen Germany properly tested on kind of those in those fullback areas yet and I do seeing seeing the points where you know Hickelsberger in particular was able to get past uh and into the box around there with when you're looking at like Diani basically playing in that position for the next game, I think is, you know, that's something that um, MVT is going to have to figure out before, before we get to the semi-final. Yeah. I'd be really curious to see what her starting lineup is for um, France. We have seen her shift a, a couple of times, but not really. It's been kind of the same spine overall, but I do wonder if she might perhaps want to put, you know, Alea Schuller, for example, back in that central striker role to kind of get the pace out of one day Renard, for example. So I am kind of curious on that. But Abdullah, last question on Germany, Austria. Again, Lina Magor, Lena Oberdorf and Sarah Davids could be the important aspects on the pitch against France to kind of move the ball forward. We know that France's midfield has been good, but isn't the best of the tournament. How do you see the German midfield getting on in this match? I think I think they should on paper they should be they should definitely be um, dominating that midfield. I, I I expect the three of them to have a lot more ball possession as opposed to um, as opposed to the French three. Um, I mean the three of them are pretty much almost a perfect blend of midfielders. One's 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 a one's an excellent box to box midfielder. The other one's a defensive powerhouse, and the third one's a, a, a creative controller. And I, and I think. When you when you talk about balance and wanting a midfield that can kind of do everything, the three of them can kind of do everything. Um, they're all very very good on the ball. They're all very very good off the ball, uh, and I, I I probably rate them as the best midfield of the of the Euros uh, so far in terms of in terms of you know who they are and and, and what they can do. Uh, I think I think the biggest thing will be is if if France how much France can get the ball in midfield and what they can do with it because the the problem that we saw even against the the Netherlands yesterday which we'll get into is I think in the second half France lost the uh, France lost control and while the Dutch couldn't take advantage you can bet anything that the Germans will and uh, and and if you're exposing those three plus the front three of Germany onto that French defense and like a four three v three or you know four v three, it's it's going to be very very dangerous. So I I can definitely see the Germans should be winning that battle. You know, eight times out of ten. And I guess we'll see that. Um, but moving on to Sweden one Belgium nil. It took a ninety second winner from Linda Sembrandt, um, to send Sweden into the semifinals. Not the most entertaining match to watch, but it is important to note that Sweden were missing a couple of important players to COVID. Jesse, Sweden still haven't gotten into a good tournament consistency yet. Should be wor- should we be worried about them um, going into semifinals like this? I don't know if I feel worried about them. I just don't feel particularly excited by them. I think Sweden's main problem is they're boring. Like... I don't feel like defensively they have very many issues. I think they're just struggling to create anything. They're just struggling to create on a consistent basis. And I think I've kind of been, 
I was looking at their attacking numbers because it's really bugging me because I can't really figure out like why it doesn't work. But I think there are a couple of things going on. I think they've now got it in their heads that it's not working. So like everything is getting rushed all the time. Like, you know, you even saw it with Stina Blacksinius in the game, in the game against Belgium, where like there are these moments where the ball like is falling to her like one meter from the goal line and she's like trying to take a touch and I just think they're like really overthinking stuff and then they'll get into kind of good positions but rather than especially against a team like Belgium where you you know you've got the ball like take some touches around the area like try and find a way in but instead they're like taking lots of shots from outside the area they kind of want to play direct I think and try and move the ball quickly but then they're coming up against teams who are just kind of happy to sit back And then it's like they don't really have any other solutions to that. I still also think that combination of kind of Aslani, Blackstenius, Rolfer doesn't really work. And obviously then they had like Kanarid out on the right and she just didn't get into the game at all. I'm really still team Lena Hurtig. I know she can be a really frustrating player, but I think of all the different versions of Sweden's attack that I've watched this tournament, I was most impressed with the one where Hurtig was the nine because I feel feel like she is a lot better at creating the space for Rolfer and Aslani to kind of make those penalty box entries. Whereas I feel like, Gina Blackstinius just doesn't suit this kind of game against a team who are going to be happy to sit back. I think she really needs like a lot more space in a side. And I feel like, again, this is kind of my problem with, with Gerhardsen is that it doesn't feel like he's prepared to maybe make the more realistic decisions about how his attack is gelling together, as opposed to kind of just really wanting them all to fit together based on who the best players there are and I think you know again that's kind of a theme we've seen across this tournament of which managers are willing to kind of kill their darlings as it were or or sacrifice players who might in their club teams be a lot better than other players for the sake of making a national team work and I think that's maybe Sweden's problem here. And bonus question against England would you stay with the back four or go back to the back three? I think it obviously depends on how people kind of come back from from COVID. I do think I do think that the reason I like the back three is because I feel like it gives Sweden better width. And I think that gives them something different. Um, whereas I think in these games with the back four, it feels like it just gets very congested and they can't find ways through. And I think against England, you've just kind of seen how. Spain got their best opportunities by kind of going at Rachel Daly in particular here and England aren't a team who are going to give up a load of space in transition they're not going to give you loads of room to run if you look at say the pressing numbers of the semi-finalists like England are pretty conservative um you know Germany and Sweden are kind of really up there and I don't really know where France are but so I think again Sweden need to do something different because I think England actually aren't going to feel dissimilar defensively to to like a Belgium for example yeah that is fair and Abdullah do you want to have a try to go um and figure out what Sweden are missing I'm usually not anyway um so I had a I had a I had a quick chat with uh with Om on this you know in the morning and um you know I think I think we both agreed that basically Sweden's main problem is their ability to break down 
deep blocks and defenses. And I think they, there's very much a reliance on there's very much a reliance on their back line to, to be the base of everything. And, and, and then w- once they get forward, they just kind of, you know, they don't, they don't have too many answers. And, and I think against Belgium, Philippe Angadel really stood out because, you know, she was the one dictating the play, really changing, forcing the tempo and, and really taking things forward. And, and, and obviously that's, that's where it, um, that's where it came from. But uh, I, I ultimately, I think it comes down to can they against, better opposition be able to both break down defenses but also be able to control the ball uh, at a a pace that works for them because usually when Sweden get the ball and they get to the final third it becomes very very stale it becomes very slowed down and it gives the teams enough time to be able to 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 reorganize themselves and really not let them through and you know I I, there was there's been a lot of criticism for Fidelina Rolfo uh, of not being not performing but then at the same time if I look at it it's she plays in a Barcelona side that has so much possession, but then they make space for her out on the left. And she's usually the one overlapping, bombing forward into space and creating havoc in 1v1s on the left-hand side. I think for Sweden, that, that there's just because the emphasis is to get Rolfo on the ball, get Aslani on the ball, it's, there's, there's not enough space. Teams are looking at that going, all right, we just have, we need to shut down Rolfo. And then, you know, we, we, we basically nullify, you know, 30, 40% of, uh, of Sweden's threat. So it's about, finding the right pace when they get into the final third for me and, and, and being able to both, you know, break down those defenses, get into the final third, dictate the play and, and, then, and then really, you know, make space for their best players. You know, I think Aslani is, has been really, really good so far and she's kind of been the, the fulcrum, the hub of this creative part of this team, but you know, they, they need a little bit more than that. And Jesse England are no doubt the ones to beat this tournament. I think both because they're in form, but also it is a home euro. So everyone wants to kind of prove them, Get off your high horse. <laughs> you said, I said it, that. it. It pains me to say, but I do think, yeah, I, I think England are the most informed team out of the semifinals. Um, so definitely ones to beat. But, do you, I mean, Spain, you know, played really well against them and they kind of pulled out that extra level that we hadn't seen in the entire tournament. Do you think that perhaps Sweden could kind of do the same thing and just pull out something that they haven't been able to do the entire tournament so far? There is an extent that where I do think surely at some point the pendulum has to swing the other way on Sweden. Like all of their best players are underperforming their XG and you kind of have to think that can't last forever. It's not really that Sweden haven't created chances. It's just that they're like massively underperforming on what they create. And I think also their XG gets inflated because they take lots of shots and they're not necessarily good opportunities. So I find it hard to imagine Sweden creating, suddenly creating loads of good opportunities against England because I think England defensively have been extremely good this tournament. Spain created like a lot of good opportunities against England. Um, I think like 70% of all of England's XG conceded came in that Spain game. But I find it hard to imagine that that Sweden are going to get as much joy. But I do think that kind of maybe depends on the Rachel Daly question because I think that could be could be very interesting um but then equally it depends on on what sweden do about that because i kind of like seeing aslani on the right but now she's been in the 10 so again it's i feel like a lot is going to depend on how these two teams actually match up but i feel like if sweden are going to win it's going to be spain vibes like it's going to be one opportunity one goal and and a one nil win because i do think sweden's defensively solid the question is is do Sweden have the players to actually take that chance? And 
I feel like they need a big mental turnaround between now and Tuesday if that's going to happen. One opportunity, one goal. That sounded like an Eminem song. That's what they, <laughs> they should play that before the match. Make their own song. Get pumped. Um, but Abdullah, going off of that, um, obviously Sweden, as we keep saying, are kind of underperforming their their attack. But England are, are one are one team that I think you expect to score at least one. Um, whether they want to lose, you you kind of expect them to, to score. But obviously Sweden, if they go goal down, for example, will they be able to to score two, score one, send it in extra time? Do you think that that might be their downfall, essentially? Yeah, possibly, because, I mean, like, like we said earlier, Sweden's biggest strength is their defense and the, the way they build up, the way they defend, you know, arguably they got some of the best players at the back. So I think if they start going a goal down and we've seen them struggle a little bit to come back into games, I mean, the Belgium one was was a, was a was quite an example of, of leaving it late and coming up against a very, very deep block and, you know, if they were if they were struggling to, to to break down that deep block where they had the majority of the ball coming up against an England side that will that will almost kill them in transition, um, and and have and have you know an equal if not slightly more of the ball, you know, uh, could be a problem. But you know, having said that, it, it could also be something that works for Sweden. You know, maybe Sweden decide to go. All right, fine. Well, let's England have the ball. Let us sit on. Let us sit back a little bit, and let us play in transition and try and get through the um, try and get through the back line because I think. Yeah, I, I think for, for Sweden to come back and having to score two goals at the very moment looks looks a difficult proposition just because of the way they've not been able to break down teams. And I think England defensively, especially their, their, their pressing, like you said, is has been on another level. And um, I think I think for me, Sweden has to score first to, to have... Uh, to have that safety net and, 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 you know, play the rest of the game where, you know, they feel like they they can go and win it, you know, which is weird to say because before the tournament and in the beginning, Sweden were pretty much top favorites, if not second favorites to go and win the whole thing. And now the way they've been playing and the way we've been seeing it, you know, everyone's, everyone's basically like, you know, Sweden aren't, um, aren't, aren't the team that we all expect them to be, but, you know, if there's anything about this side is that they can, you know, they've got the players to kind of come out and, and really raise their game in this last one. And, and I think, I think like I just said, it comes down to Gerhardsen being able to change his team to, um, to, to match the occasion, not the players themselves. So if he can maybe make a few changes and, you know, uh, and go and go that way. Then, then, then maybe we can see Sweden really come out with this pocket strat and 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 you know take the game to England that they weren't expecting. If people saw Sweden as favourites and then feel surprised about the way they play, I feel like you haven't watched Sweden because I feel like this is how Sweden are a lot of the time and were at the Olympics and it did them very well at the Olympics because they are are defensively like pretty good and it doesn't always matter if they only kind of managed to get that goal and like look they've got to the semi-finals it served them well I think the question is is how good are Sweden defensively in this tournament because if you look at the four teams they've played none of them are particularly good going going forward I mean Portugal and Switzerland like they're just like not the same level I thought you know Switzerland were good Netherlands had a great second half against Sweden, but we saw against France that they're not particularly good going forward with the caveat that they've obviously lost players since since they played Sweden. Um, and, you know, Viv wasn't really fit, blah, blah, blah. Belgium also aren't very good. So for me, the big question mark, I guess, over this game is what is this Sweden team going to look like under the pressure of an England side who 
Spain game aside, we know have been very, very good at attacking in this tournament. But moving on to France 1, Netherlands 0. It took a penalty in the 102nd minute in extra time to secure France's semi-final spot over the Netherlands. Um, but to be fair, um, yeah, France were getting really, really close to scoring. Estef van der Graetz and Daphne van Domsle. Domsle, I can't... I, Dom it's not that hard but I can't say it fast but yeah Daphne and Steph uh, they kind of just denied France and we're just like no you're not getting past this but then of course their attacking colleagues let them down and all the effort went to waste basically but Jesse this I, I think this wasn't necessarily a convincing match for either side what did you think? I think that's harsh on France I think from a French perspective surely you kind of just have to write this game off as one of those days because they were very, very good against, yeah, a Dutch side who didn't really offer a lot. But, I, you know, I thought the chances that France created, OK, I guess you could say, like, oh, you know, now Kototo's not in the team, there's kind of no one to finish those opportunities. But, like, if you play that game again, France probably do go and, like, win 3 or 4-0. So... I don't really see what more they could have done other than, yeah, maybe if if they had better goal scorers. But we know there are good goal scorers in that team. I think it just kind of, you have to write it off as, as one of those days. Um, the Dutch were were really disappointing, to be honest. I think there were a lot of strange things going on there. It was weird that Jill Raw didn't start. I don't know if it's because everyone's saying it's because of these comments, but like the comments were like 10 days ago. So I don't really understand why she wouldn't be starting now. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what was going on there, but it definitely feels like obviously there's a bit of tension between the players and Mark Parsons. And I worry that Mark Parsons isn't really able to like manage this team. There's a lot of very strong personalities in it. And it kind of feels like the Dutch are sort of trying to manage themselves. That's kind of what I got from some of Jill's comments is like, we don't like Mark Parsons, so we want to do things our way. And then you get these kind of stories about, you know, Viv coming out with this tactical switch against Sweden, which did work really well. And that's why it was kind of weird that Mark Parsons didn't just play it here. You know, I think they've obviously gone through a lot of changes. They've really had to struggle with the stuff that's kind of been thrown at them in this tournament, the COVID, the injuries. But this wasn't. This wasn't great, but I don't necessarily know if that's Mark Parsons' fault. I think that's that's quite fair to say. I think, obviously, talking about Serena Vigman, Serena Vigman was in charge of the national team for quite a few years, and the transition from such a good manager to anybody else is going to be hard either way. But I think, yeah, Mark Parsons and Serena Vigman are, are quite the opposite type of managers, as you could see, and I think that's been kind of tough. Um, for a team who has again yeah like uh, they have a lot of personalities but I think every player's style play just is very very different and I think that takes kind of a lot to manage uh, but I guess we'll see in the long term whether he's right or not but Abdullah we know France's strengths are on the wings I do have to say that that Delphine Cascarino volley that hit the post was ridiculous. Obviously, not as ridiculous as you can see, but it was it was a really well hit and a very sad moment when that didn't go in. But um, big topic of conversation, obviously, uh, Melvin Malar. We we talked about it and how we didn't think that she was actually going to start this match. Um, 
because obviously Konindriak, there's no need for more explanation on there. But what did you think of Malad as the central striker? Yeah, I, d- I didn't think she did too badly. I think I think um, while she is definitely more of a natural wide player coming inside, Malard has the attributes to play in the style that, that France wants. Uh, well, at least the adjusted style that France wants. Obviously, Katoto is, is is a different breed, and you know she's a lot more of a player that can drop in, but then it's just much more of a, a presence and, and, and a force in the uh, in, in the box. But I, and I think Millard's kind of the opposite, where she, she's very very good at dropping in and kind of connecting the play between the players. But you know, uh, but you know, there were a couple of chances that Millard had in the box that you know maybe if Katoto was there, they you know they they would get put put away and 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 you know maybe maybe slightly better decisions would be made. But I think the way France kind of played this game was they weren't relying on Millard to be their. Um, to, to be their main goal scorer, it, it wasn't. It wasn't about having Millard, the one who can who can go in and, and and score all the goals. They needed the wide players to kind of come inside and do that for them, which we saw. Like you said, Cascarino's you know hit onto the post and and, and um, you know a, a few more of the like. I think were, um, were basically where it came from. But yeah, no, I I, I like Millard, and I, but I think it's just a matter of France now kind of adjusting their gameplay to kind of use their wide players as their major source of strength. Um, and and source of goals rather than the central striker, where the central striker now just kind of becomes this hub of like connecting the play together. And, and if Millard can get on the end of um, get on the end of it, that then great. Um, you know, Diani on the right hand side did, did did a lot of great things, uh, and also had a couple of chances. Um, you know, and but then for me, the, the, where this comes down to, is I think they need one more player, maybe from midfield, to kind of be. You know, Grace Joro just does that, but maybe. Maybe they need Grace Pushmore. Maybe they need a second second midfielder to kind of help play that hyper aggressive number eight role and kind of get that extra player into the box. Because when you have Katojo can kind of do that role for you is both like I said, going dropping deep and going into the box. But you probably maybe need one more if if Millard is really going to be doing a lot of the work dropping into the uh, dropping into the uh, the sixth position and uh, from from a striking place and and do the work from. But overall, I think she did well considering it was. You know, a crunch game, and 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 uh, and and just needed to get a job done. That's fair. And Jesse, a simple question, maybe perhaps loaded. You you can take it either way if you want. But yeah, Germany next, a tough one to call. Uh, as we keep mentioning the side strengths, I, I feel like we just keep talking about the wings and defenders and how each team can exploit the space, but. In this particular um, kind of matchup, we know that France on the wings is kind of their way to go and that all their attacking goes through the wings in one way or another. Um, but Germany fullbacks, France can exploit the wings, Germany can perhaps exploit the midfields and maybe the slow pace of Wendy Renard. Um, where do you think this match will be won and, and lost? Yeah, I definitely think um, the wings are going to be really important from France. But I also, I think this game's going to be a lot closer than maybe people think. Because, yeah, I definitely think these two teams kind of match up to each other really neatly. Um, I think, I do feel like Germany equally have, although they have a very good midfield, their wingers have been excellent as well, especially Clara Boulle. Um, and it will definitely be interesting to see her up against E. Perisette, who I think has been really, really good. But um, from a Chelsea perspective, I'm intrigued to see her have kind of a really 
talented player running at her for for 90 minutes. Um, I still think, you know, this German press has been really, really impressive. And, you know, we've seen lots of France's joy come from Renard having time to kind of pick those passes out wide and get France up high up the pitch very quickly. And I just don't think she's going to be able to do that regardless of whether it's Schuler or Pop starts. Um, and, you know, I guess if Pop, say, doesn't start in midfield, which I would be surprised if she did, but, like, basically regardless of whether Pop or Schuler starts, the fact that like, you've then got the opposite one to come on is pretty terrifying as well because it basically means that Germany can kind of keep up that intensity, I think, for the whole game with a very similar level of quality. So... I'd probably give the Germans the edge because of that. Um, but, you know, I still think Diani has been in- incredibly high quality in, in all of the games we've seen so far. And I do feel like I don't I don't like to talk too much about my enemy, Feli Rauch, but we know that she can be got at in, in that kind of one-on-one um, battle. She does have a tendency to get caught out and then kind of look annoyed at her central defenders as if she wasn't in charge I mean yeah there's going to be a lot of work for Lena Oberdorf to do but uh I think we've seen so far that she's basically up to the task so I will probably edge it for Germany yeah but I think France have the tools to hurt the Germans too. Abdullah last question before we move on to quick predictions what else do France need from their game to be able to get through Germany? I think I think they need a little bit more from the midfield. I think I think we've we've talked about defensively, we've talked about them on the wings and we talked about them going forward. I think where France really need need to be able to control it and, and, and probably the key to victory is you get that midfield involved. That midfield can can compete and get involved against I'm not saying that they're going to they're going to outplay the three Germans because I still think the three of them are better, but I think they need to be competitive in there. If they can control the ball and get some sort of joy out of it. You know, I think Sandy Taletti, if she can play a little bit more as a controlling midfielder, really get her passing on the ball, get her to be able to play this bit more of a controlling role um, and, and get the play through her. I think there is there's a, there is a, there is a way that they can transition from defense to attack and really, you know, create some chances for the white players, you know, with the exception of the way Bernard gets the ball and then they ping diagonals, you know, out to the left and right. You know, I mean, that that's one option. The other option is you start Clara Mateo instead of Toletti and you'd really play like a really high pressing, high aggressive, uh, you know, almost like a front five. Um, but no, I think it'll be Toletti and um, Gior over there. And um, yeah, I, I think it's they need that joy in that midfield. If they can, if they can control some of it, that's probably where they're going to be able to, to get uh, at least a good portion of their victory against Germany. All right. So now we've we've talked the talk. Let's um, put our predictions where our words are. England versus Sweden. Jesse? I've got to back England. Of course you do. <laughs> Abdullah? Yeah, I'll go England. I think that's a fair shout. I think anyone could agree with that right now. Um, Germany, France, though. Jesse? I've got to stop saying France going out, but I'm going to say Germany just because I do think they, I think they will have too much for France, and I think they will benefit from having not played the extra time, from having had the extra days, and also at the start of the entire tournament, I said it being England Germany final, so I'd be really smug if that happened. Alhamdulillah. Oh God, I like both teams, but I'm going to say France. 
I got I got I got I got I got to back the French. So I'm I'm going to say France. For the sake of my own bracket, I'm going to say Germany because <laughs> <laughs> I have Germany in the final. So I think but I do agree with Jesse in the sense that you, you look at the bench of both sides and you know that Germany can keep up the consistency, whether it goes into extra time or not. Um, you have, you know, Lea Schiller, Jule Brand um, come off the bench. You even have a Tabea Vazmuth, who obviously isn't going to probably get minutes this tournament, but she is still an option. She might be an Amayur Seregi, who finally gets their opportunity in the last 10 minutes of the match. Um, but yeah, for, for the sake of my bracket, though, yeah, I will say Germany. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll come back and see if this bites us in the ass, especially you, Jesse. If... I hope your French girlfriend isn't listening, Alex. <laughs> I'm catering to your French girlfriend more than Jesse. I, mean, I know. That's that's, um, let, let's not tell her that I said <laughs> France is going to lose. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll end it on that. And thank you for listening to our Euros episode. As always, we'll be back after the semifinals again and to preview the final i can't believe it's it's already almost here um but yeah the three of us will be at the semis and the final so we'll get um some first first hand action um but make sure you're following us on twitter to keep up with every episode release and thank you for listening Bye.